that again with the actual like stream <laughs> as opposed to some other one that I just accidentally made. So some people may be joining us now after they discovered that other one a few moments ago. And I was saying something that made sense about it being Mad Corona Daily number 19, and it'd be nice if it had been 20. It would have been 20 if I hadn't missed a few days, but I missed a few days. Today's the big day, Paul Narum, Palm Sunday, the day that um, I get to stop doing this every single day and, again, uh, reconsider what I'm doing with my life. Um, <laughs> uh, I am looking forward to, I think, this week for certain. You can expect to see me on uh, Doing Something Friday. For Good Friday, I think you can expect to see me Saturday morning from Saturday Morning Chill as well, just like normal. Whether or not I get bonus content out to you on the podcast, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I won't be able to stay away. I'll have to chime in sooner. But I do I do need a little break. I, I could easily just stop right now and do nothing this afternoon. Oh, check the audio. Dear heavens to Betsy and Murgatroy, thank you, Joshua. You don't know how much computer 10 minutes of pain I just had a moment ago that didn't need to be here today. There was plenty of other pain in my life today with all the 10 minutes of computer pain that now decided to also change the microphones. But now it works. Whatever I said before, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just air. Oh, what I was saying... Um, uh, for pity's sakes. What I was saying is that I could easily, easily be done for the day. It was a beautiful day. You can look at my earlier video I did kind of right near the end of it in terms of providing uh, more or less private masses uh, to family groups, members within the congregation and really getting things set up. We're going to be able to do it for Easter as well, it looks like. And our shelter-in-place rules, we're following all the laws to a T. Um, at least to the best of our ability and understanding. And if you want to bring a lawyer and shut us down, then I guess you'll shut us down. But we're planning to do Easter Sunday. We're going to have uh, Easter Saturday as well uh, so people can come and uh, and have, again, these private services. So big weekend for me next weekend, even without the regular Holy Week stuff, which would be there. It's amazing. It really dawned on me today just how many hymns we're going to miss. There are so many hymns that we would have sung in the last couple of weeks and in this next week. So many hymns. And Easter Sunday, you know, even the way we're going to do it, they're not, we're not going to sing. Not going to be able to sing them all. Jesus Christ is risen today, right? Uh, oh, man. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of, um, oh, what's the one? No one knows this one as well, but I love it. I love it. I love it. Let me see if I can get it. Oh, for pity's sakes. Come, ye faithful, raise the strain of triumphant gladness. Christ has brought his Israel into joy from sadness. Loosed from Pharaoh's bitter yoke, Jacob's sons and daughters. Uh, wait, something with unmoistened foot through the, um, through the Red Sea waters. Yeah. It's a good time of year, right? So what, what I got for you today, I'm going to use the term private mass all I want, Adam. I'm sorry. I'm going to do it. We're going to take it back because the way they use it in Rome is wrong. It's evil. I agree. Um, but what we're doing is we're doing a communion service for a non-public demonstration. It is a private communion service. It is not public and open to anybody to walk in. And the communion service, rightly called in our confessions, is the Mass. So I'm pretty sure I can call it a private Mass. It's okay. Even if it's confusing to some, that's all right. There's precedent, so they can't really say we're doing anything wrong. Yeah, um, but I get it. I get it. I'm going to use it, though. Sorry, Adam. Uh, if you have to hate me, you got to hate me for that. But what we're going to be doing today, um, him sing, yeah, uh, tune in Friday. Uh, we're going to be today looking at some texts. 
And uh, let me get this all set up here. I'm not as prepared as I should be. We'll go ahead and do it like this. What happens if I do this? Does that make sense? Oh, it almost made sense. Now, I just got to get it so you can see the Bible. <laughs> There we go. So what we're going to be doing today is a bird's eye view. Um, oh, John Damascus. Uh, thank you. Speaking of Adam, as we as we debate um, that song that I just sang by John Damas Damascus, led them with unmoistened foot. <clears throat> yeah, led them with unmoistened foot through the Red Sea waters. Right. Um, Old Testament. We've been doing a lot of that this year, and where we would be right now, coming out of Lent. And into Palm Sunday, getting ready for golly is holy week. It's the week that Jesus shows up in Jerusalem and they murder him. Because they hate him so much. Um, to remember that week in the Old Testament and also align it with the fulfillment of all Old Testament things in him. <clears throat> we have a, a significant shift between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. As you do every year, by the way, this is already there in the liturgy. There is a major shift in emphasis between uh, Palm Sunday and, and Easter Sunday, and then Pentecost as well is sort of a third piece to this. Um, the thing that I would encourage you to consider that you maybe never noticed is that Palm Sunday is sort of like a bad day. It's not really um, what it should have been. I mean, yeah, absolutely. If these would be silent, even the stones would cry out from babes and children, infants, the mouths of children. The gospel is proclaimed, Hosanna to the Son of David. Like, all that happened. Don't get me wrong. You had huge, massive crowds going out to see Jesus. Just tremendous crowds going out to see Jesus. And, and he could, you know, they're, they're putting their cloaks in the mud for the donkey to walk on it. I mean, there's a certain level of, like, like this is David's son for sure. And for reals, we're casting off Rome. It's time to go. Right. Um. But 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 but. What Jesus does when he goes in is he goes and he goes to the temple and finds them selling religion, selling forgiveness. So there's the whole bit with the whip there, and he walks back out and across the the valley there on the other side, right around the time he's going to be given the the conversation about, or in the area where he's going to be given the conversation about, um, I'm gonna lose what's called Matthew 24. The uh, oh, I lost it. There's a fancy technical scholastic term for it. The something, something, something. Um, uh, discourse. Olivet Discourse. I knew I'd get it eventually. So, so you know, on his way back to this Olivet Discourse, which is a little bit later, but you pass multiple times a tree. And Jesus sees this tree, and the first time he sees it, it's like, it's beautiful. It's everything you thought it would be. It's like a giant crowd of people welcoming you into a city, a beautiful, gorgeous tree. It's in flower. It's in bloom. It's the right season. He goes to it to find a fig. And hey, guess what? There's no figs on that tree. It should have been. It sure looked like there were, but there were not. That is Palm Sunday. That is the day that Jesus sees a fake fruit, a false fruit from Old Testament Israel who welcomes him with open arms only to nail his arms to the cross. It's a false day, a day when we wanted the wrong kind of king, uh, a day when he made sure we got the right kind of king anyway. He walked right past us. And we killed him for it, but that was the point, crowned with thorns. So isn't it interesting then that you have a similar thing kind of happening between the two major, the absolutely dominant primary first well-named most chapters given to kings in the Bible. 
David, you should know, and if you don't, I'm sorry, we'll talk about him next time. But, but uh, um, Saul, not Saul of Tarsus, who will become Paul, but his namesake, to be sure, uh, King Saul uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, if I'm not mistaken, which would be where then, again, Saul of Tarsus gets his own lineage as well. So there's some tie in there to familial names. It's, it's a Hebrew name, though. You'll find the better call Saul is, is the show it is for a reason. Um, but, but this guy, this King Saul, he, he's, he's a phenomenal king. Powerful, establishing, dynastic. Uh, David is also. What's the difference between these two guys? <clears throat> they both have the God of Israel on their side. One of them ends up being the father of Jesus Christ, ultimately, and a believer at his deathbed, probably more important. And the other one, neither of these things. And even his own son is, is killed in his lifetime, and then his grandson does survive him, although with some real issues. But indeed, maybe not, not without faith, and that's a good thing there too. What is it about these two guys? What makes them different? Why is David good? Why is Saul bad? Um, and just know, whenever we ask a question like that, you are most in the likely <laughs> uh, going to have a law answer. You're going to come up with something David did that made him good and something Saul did or didn't do that made him bad. And I want to encourage you to believe that's absolutely wrong. <laughs> so completely wrong. The difference between David and, and Saul is a simple, simple matter. David believed what God said every time he said it. And Saul believed what God said sort of for a while. And then he stopped. And then he kind of believed the one thing he shouldn't ever believe, which was the curse that he got afterwards. And he still didn't even believe that. It was a, It's as simple as childlike faith. It's not about a decision Saul made. He didn't commit himself or not commit himself enough to the Lord. It wasn't about devotional time spent every single day. It was strictly this. That when David was cut with the accusation of what he'd done, it was revealed. It was real. He held it. He knew it. He didn't lie about it. You're right. Golly. I mean, like, literally, God damn it, the child's going to die. Like, literally, I'm not, I'm not cursing. I'm saying that's what happened, right? Uh, literally, I am now under the damnation of God in the sense of my son's going to die. And David says, it's what I deserve. Saul doesn't say that. Saul never says what I deserve. He says, it's not my fault. That's what Saul says. It's not my fault. And having said it's not my fault, he then proceeds to wonder why God won't talk to him anymore <laughs> the rest of his life. It's very sad, again, very tragic. We won't be able to get into every bit of text today, but I want to try to give you some of the uh, the highlight here, especially the transition, because the story of how these two guys kind of be kings has is, is got its own comparison as well. So you see, we were on Samuel a little bit last week, right? We see more of Samuel's life and that he doesn't end up so different from Eli. Remember, Eli was the guy who was the high priest at the time of Samuel. His sons, Hophnius and Phinehas, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, excuse me, they end up getting the Ark of the Covenant captured, themselves killed. Eli dies too. Samuel ends up the prophet who's leading Israel at this time from Shiloh, where the Ark of the Covenant is, by and large. But it wasn't exactly like that was the way it was supposed to all be set up to go. Samuel, you would think, would have learned uh, something about saying no to his boys uh, so that they would stop, well, his boys would not abuse the gifts they were given the way that Hophni and Phinehas were. However, it seems that they they did not. So when Samuel, this is chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. Well, there you go. Like, naturally, boys, you inherit, right? 
the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways. Right. So, so Samuel thinks he's going to make them judges when it's God who does it, and then they, they don't walk. In the way of the Lord, they took bribes and perverted justice. All the elders, they came together and said, There's enough of this, Samuel, at Ramah. And behold, you are old. We're looking at that verse 4, verse 5 now. There. Where the 5 goes in number? There it is. Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Like, hey, man, like your sons are cheating us. You're still in control, but you're about to die. So we need this to change, right? Uh, give us a king to judge us, they say. And there's something very, very important here. Now appoint to us a king to judge us all like, like all the other nations. Now this is not asking for a judge. This is not asking for a savior. And this is not even asking for a king. This is asking for a divine king. This is asking for the kind of king you'd have in any pagan culture where anybody who amassed enough power obviously was the most blessed of God and probably spoke for God and may indeed be God to some extent as an avatar. And so, um, well, well, this divine God king, like Pharaoh, think like that. Um, well, give us one of those, Samuel. Now, the funny thing is, is like that's exactly what we need, right? That's who Jesus is, is that. Except he's not a melech, he's not a pagan version He's a Meshiach. He's, a, he's an anointed. He's a christened. Uh, he is appointed of old version. In any case, appoint us this king who's not what we're supposed to ask for, to do something that God hasn't told us he's going to do. Now, Samuel gets upset about this, and rightly so, but he's actually just kind of being selfish here. He's upset that they're rejecting him because of his sons. So he's, he's, he's whining a little bit about it, but God says, Hey, Samuel, you know what? That may or may not be true, but check this out. Who, who are they really rejecting now? Where's the faithlessness at work here? Is it really? Cause you're such a, a pain in their side, Samuel. No, <clears throat> no, 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 Samuel. They don't want me. He says, uh, they don't want me. Samuel prayed to the Lord. Verse seven, the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all they say to you, for they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt. And remember, he's like killed like 30,000 of them at a time in the desert because of the deeds they have done since they came out of Egypt. So from all the deeds they've done since that day, I brought them out, forsaking me, serving other gods. They're doing it to you too, right? Verse nine, now then obey, listen to, hear, believe their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. So basically he's like, look, you want a God king and you think you need it, you're wrong. You're right, but you're wrong. You're right in the wrong way and you're wrong in the right way. So I'm going to give you the right thing, but first I'm going to give you the wrong thing so you can learn exactly what it is to have a man be your God. Behold King Saul, right? Behold King Saul. It's going to go a little more than that, right? You see, you have a bit here where they're clearly, though, God knows God knows what's coming. He does not choose Saul so as to destroy Saul. Saul chooses himself. We know that already. We know very clearly damnation rests upon every individual's own personal decision. We also know very well salvation does not. So salvation comes as a gift. Damnation is, is on Saul. If he's damned, it's his fault. It sure looks like he is. God did not do this, but God knows it. God knows it's coming, and he foretells it so that we might see what happens when we make a divine king out of our own image as compared to when he makes a um, old Meshach out of, out of his. Uh, so I'm going to be skipping a little bit more here in the story, not going, you know, verse by verse here. You know, he tells them about the king. He talks about all the ways they're going to like not 
like the way this happens. They're going to regret what he gets. But the biggest one of all is it's not going to work. And it's not actually going to serve them at the end of the day. You know, he's, he's going to make you tithe and tax and all this. Um, uh, but but uh, let's see if I can find the one the one piece over there. It doesn't matter. Um, the point is that they're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting the king who really is already there over them so that this man must fail, right? In that day, there it is, verse 18. In that day, you will cry out because of your Melech, not your Messiah, your Melech, your king, uh, your God king, your man who you worship and trust. You're going to cry out because you chose him for yourself and he's failing you, but the Lord, no, this is terrifying, the Lord will not answer you in that day. He's talking to the whole people, plural. He's going to leave you with him. You get the God you make. Right? You get the God you make. The people refuse to listen to the voice of Samuel. It's moving too fast. There we go. No, there'll be a king over us. We'll be like everybody else. The king will judge and go out before us, fight our battles. Cool, brah. Totally. Samuel had heard all these words from the people. He repeated them to the ears of the Lord. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, well, obey the voice, make him a king. Every man go to his city now. And then there's this huge story, and I'm not going to dive into the verbatim of it. I'm just going to tell you the story. But um, Let's just say that Benjamin uh, is, is not really known for being like the, the, the deal, right? Ephraim again is the deal. Uh, Judah, maybe, maybe. But Ephraim, Manasseh, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh is how they even would say it. So Benjamin, they're down over here in a corner, kind of southwesty-ish. And amongst them is a guy named Kish. And um, Kish has some money, a good amount of wealth. You see that there in verse 1. He has a son named Saul who's good-looking. He's handsome. And honestly, there's not a man among the people of Israel that looks quite like him because the guy's tall. His shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. He's maybe even a match for Goliath, you might say, that kind of thing. Right? He's a good-looking dude, Fabio with the hair streaming. And now, you know, there he is. Oh, look at Saul, the rich guy's kid. Now, there's this whole bit where we're told that Kish had some donkeys and he loses the donkeys. The donkeys run away. And I'm not even sure why this is here. Other than that, I know there's another moment where... God is going to send a prophet to go look for the one who's going to be the king, David. And David's not looking for donkeys. David's herding sheep. And there's a there's just something there about uh, someone who would, like, all he can do. Like, when you find this guy to be king, he is lost chasing donkeys in the wilderness. That's who this guy is. And, and when David shows up, <clears throat> he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do, caring for his father's sheep. Now, again, this is not about how great David is, per se. It's about the type, the shadow, right? The picture that we're supposed to see, the distinction between the two, which shows us ultimately who Jesus is for us. Uh, so anyway, the, the donkeys are lost, and Saul's off, and it's this really long thing. By the way, they go through Ephraim. Notice this. They go through the place where you should be finding the king, right? <clears throat> of course he'd be a son of Joseph. Um, so uh, they go through Ephraim. They don't find the donkeys. It kind of goes on and on. They end up wanting to go to talk to Samuel, in order to get the prophet to tell them where the donkeys are, right? Like, like if you can't do anything, go talk to the prophet. He'll give you a judgment, and maybe he'll tell you where the donkeys are. So they go to see him in this way. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on here. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to smash it together because the ordering's a bit intricate. I don't want to mess with it. But the long and short is this. The long and short is that Samuel shows up, meets him face to face, and says, Hey, guy named Saul, your king in the name of Yahweh, your God now, is going to be pretty sweet. He'll be with you wherever you go. So I'll see you tomorrow. <coughs> and then he takes off. 
uh, Samuel takes off. And, and Saul is intended then to be found tomorrow. And this is what happens tomorrow. They get together all of Israel. And God begins kind of pulling by lot out of Israel. Remember with Achan's, was Achan's sin? Yeah, I think it was Achan's sin. Um, remember how like they did it all by lot and then they got swallowed alive at the very end? Uh, so in this one, uh, it's all going by lot. Only now all 12 tribes are represented and they rolled Benjamin. Everyone's got to be like, what? And then they, they keep working down through the lines all the way down to this family of Kish. And then, well, then they, they roll they roll for Saul. And of course, you should have known this. You know this is coming if you if you care at all. Samuel knew this was coming. He told him yesterday. It's all been revealed in the Lord. So where's the guy? I mean, just think about it. Put it in the years. Yesterday, you had somebody show up at your door. He says, I am the prophet of the living God. Now, you live in a time where that shouldn't happen, but back then, it kind of did. In fact, it was Samuel, the only one who everybody thought for sure was a prophet during this time. He shows up at your door and says, tomorrow, I'm going to make you king at your house. What are you going to do? Where are you going to be? How ready are you going to be? I'll tell you where I won't be. God help me. <laughs> I won't be hiding in the suitcases because that's where Saul was. He was hiding with the baggage. So you see this other thing about Saul right away. Even though he's called, he doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it. You can say, well, what do you mean? He was just afraid of people. No, 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 no. If he understood what he had been told, if he believed he was the Meshach of God, the, the, the anointed one now, not a Melech, but a Meshach, if he's the Christ of God, there to rule in God's name, with God's authority, saying, you go do it. What on earth is he afraid of? Other than that, he don't believe. He don't believe it. He doesn't believe he speaks for God, rules for God, and that God's going to be behind everything he does. He lives in the fear based on man's opinions of a fallen world. Yeah. David, on the other hand, doesn't even have to be told he's king and he'll go out and face a giant with a couple of sticks because he's circumcised and he comes in the name of Yahweh. He knows that nobody loses when they do that. Well, it's next week. Saul, again, um, he just doesn't believe. He's hiding. He's hiding the baggage again. Now, that doesn't stop Samuel from, uh, excuse me, Samuel from getting him out. Samuel took a flask of oil. Here's your Christ, by the way. Where does Christ come from as a word? Jesus Christ, what does that mean? Christus, christen. You might have heard that uh, talking about, say, boats and things like that, christening. Uh, you christen something by getting it wet, often with oil, sometimes with liquor, right? Um, uh, so again, with boats, you would do it that way. With kings in Hebrew tradition, it would have been a, a bottle of oil. So the way you become a king is that you get made a Christ. The way you are Christed is that oil is poured on your head. That's exactly what's happening right now. Samuel is making the first of the Lord God Almighty's human Christs, every single one of which will be a complete failure until the actual one they all just foreshadowed, who, of course, is uh, even death could not contain him. So Samuel takes this flask of oil, pours it on his head. This anointed him. He meshaiachs him, kissed him, said, Has not the Lord anointed? Meshaiach, Christ did you. Prince over people, Israel. Yeah. You shall look and listen to the promise. Go, go with this, man. You shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their enemies. This shall be the sign to you that the Lord has Christed you to be prince over his heritage. You're going to depart from me today. You're going to meet two men by Rachel's tomb and a terror. I mean, it gets really specific here. They're going to tell you where the donkeys were. It's all going to work out fine. These are the signs. Let's kind of skip down here a little bit more. And the Spirit of the Lord, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord 
will rush upon you and you will prophesy. This is crazy. This is this is the same guy. He's like hiding in the baggage. He's afraid. Everyone's like, wow, he's tall and good looking. He must be a good king. And he's like, I'm prophesying. I don't even know why. But that's what's going to be happening to him. He's told it. The Spirit will make you prophesy. When these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. You don't even have to doubt what you're going to do next. Just go do it. Go down before Gilgal. Behold, I'm coming to meet you to offer burnt offerings. So wait for me, king, for the burnt offerings we must make, the peace offerings. This would all be like Levitical code kind of stuff, like official covenant kind of stuff. It's pretty important. Kings don't do this. Priests do this, yada, yada. Seven days, though. Wait for me. And then I'll come. I'll show you what to do. When he turned his back, God gave him another heart, it says. This is a good thing. It means he was a regenerate Christian. And this is where Saul's story is desperately terrifying. He's a regenerate Christian. He's going to prophesy with the Spirit of God. Prophesy, you, know, you don't prophesy with and as and filled with the Holy Spirit of God according to the fulfillment of prophecy and not believe anything of it. So, so he, he believes. He's given a new heart. Unless you're going to tell me verse 9 here is wrong, Baptist. Um, you know, verse 9 is right. God gave Saul a new heart. He's a Christian now. And all these signs came to pass. He meets the group of the prophets. Uh, and, and as all this is going forth, look, they, they, the Spirit of God, that's verse 10 there in the middle, the Spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, he spoke the scriptures, right? Uh, the people said to one another, what has come over this son of Kish? Is he drunk, right? It's like he's, I'm sorry, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, is Saul also among the prophets? And that phrase does get left with us. So if you want to have some hope, Saul's not in hell, that's the verse to cling to right there. Is Saul also among the prophets? Ask that question instead. Did, did St. Paul go to heaven? I don't know. Is Saul also among the prophets? Like, that's a fair question. That's what was said of him, like, till his dying day. So so that's okay to leave that there. It's a proverb even, right? Um, but then, here's the thing. Uh, sorry, I'm going to skip ahead here. Um, they come to the high place. Uh, they uh, He comes back to the family. Uh, why is all this going, along, going on? Right, right. Uh, it shifts direction. So verse 17, we're continuing the story away from the family. Samuel then calls all the people of the Lord together at Mizpah. So he's, he's gathering everyone to this king. He, the guy's been anointed, but it wasn't like everybody was there to see it, right? So he's calling them together at Mizpah. And part of this is to, to bring them as an army to go out and do what they need to do to preserve the people. Um, so he, he says to the people, this is the proclamation to bring them in, basically. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up out of Egypt. Oh, I should say you. I brought up Israel. There we go. Out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. But, by the way, today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and distresses. You've said to him, set a king over us, a Melech. Uh, now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and thousands. Right? So that's the message that everybody's getting. It's like, you've rejected God. You asked for a king, so show up. Right? Uh, so show up. Um, oh, is this the... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And Benjamin's taken by Lot, right? They go all the way through. The people are going to see him. I kind of said this already. Uh, and there was no one like him among all the people. And they're all shouting, long live the king, long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties in the kingship. He wrote it in a book for them, uh, went home. And uh, so it seems it would all be good. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and click on. I'm not really confident whether it's in 1 Samuel 11 or shortly thereafter. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's chapter 11. Um, there is some some fighting that's going to take place between people. And yeah, there's too much there. Okay, so 
So what we're going to do is we're going to come back here. That was the end of the text as appointed for reading. I mean, there's so much more to his story. What I want to emphasize is this. So remember how I said that, that Saul said to come and meet him again? Excuse me, that Samuel said to come and meet him again. And it was not the same assembly as, the, as what just happened there a moment ago, where they pull him out of the lot drawing hat, right? And here is the king. He's tall, all this stuff. Um, they're supposed to meet another time. And now they're getting ready for battle. Uh, Saul is getting established. They're, they're drawing up lines uh, in order to go out and protect the people. Okay. And um, this is nothing new where it's like Samuel's like, show up somewhere. I'll be there. I'll offer the sacrifices. Right. That just happened a moment ago. What's well, going to happen again for this battle? And they go, everybody goes there to fight this army that's like a cross on another hill, an ancient army. I forget who it is, particularly the Philistines, I believe, but I forget which one it is. Maybe the Ammonites. I don't know. But they're there to do this. And Saul, as king, I mean, and we see this in the text a little bit. We're kind of told he's not necessarily seen as clearly as he could. But he, um, Saul, as king, starts to worry. He starts to worry that the Lord is not on his side. He starts to worry that the war is going to start before the prophet shows up. And then if that happens, the sacrifices will not have been made. And if the sacrifices are not made yet, then it won't go well enough for us in the battle. And we'll lose and I won't be king anymore. So he makes the sacrifices himself. And here's the trick. Like, you would think that's pious. He believed he needed to have the sacrifices. He did need to have the sacrifices. That's what's supposed to happen. There are sacrifices there to placate an angry God and present to him an atoning offering, right? That, that, that might be returned as a attitude of forgiveness and grace toward us through the foreshadowing of, of what really takes place in the cross on Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. So, so that's what's supposed to be happening here, right? But what Saul does is he sees that transaction in the cross and its shadows as a transaction that's reliant upon his fulfilling of it in a certain time and order. So that, for say, example, if the prophet were delayed in showing up before the battle and they went to the battle without the actual sacrifices, was God still with him or not? And when he said no, and so he made the sacrifices anyway, he chose a different God. You follow me? When he said, God's not with me if I don't do these sacrifices, he believed in a different God, made up brand new sacrifices that did not require an Aaronic priest or Samuel. However, he managed to stand in his place. Is he have a lot of Aaron? He might be. Um, in any case, he chose his own covenant at that moment, offered the sacrifices, and then no sooner does he finish them, you know, Samuel shows up. And Samuel's like, livid. What are you doing? No, really, what are you doing? Well, the war was going to start, and you weren't here, and I needed to offer the sacrifices, or God wouldn't be happy with us and be on our side. Now, Lutherans, be really careful. We do this all the time. We do this, we do this, we do this, we do this with baptism and infant baptism all the time. It's there for you to have as soon as your child is born, within eight days or so. But we treat it like it's this kind of magic. That if we didn't do it fast enough, God wouldn't save the baby. Right? As, as if. As if. That's Saul's problem. You cannot see that clearly so as to figure out what God's really thinking or wanting or doing. You just have to believe God's killing you and raising you in Jesus. And so when he says something to you, you should listen and say, that's true. I'm going to put my money on that. I'm going to hold that thing over and against everything else in the world. So when Samuel shows up and he says, what are you doing? And Samuel again, or Saul again says, uh, well, there was this army over here, and you were late, so I had to do it. It wasn't what we wanted, but I had to. 
And so I did it. And now here we go. Samuel's like, whoa. <laughs> now, let's pause here for a moment. He didn't say, hey, everybody, did you notice how Saul just shucked the blame and said it was my fault that he's a blasphemer and no longer the king? He doesn't say it that way. He just says, oh, Saul, you're no longer the king. Uh, because of what you did today, God's going to rip the kingdom from you. Uh, go have a good fight. They go, they have that. Saul is plagued by this the rest of his life. And rightly so. Because part of him wants to believe it. He wants to believe the word which says he's condemned by God because he wants to believe that God is true and repent so he can trust in him. But the problem is he got into this position by believing this God is not true. And now, even if he were to say this God is true and I am rightly condemned, God have mercy on all and I get what I deserve. If he says that, uh, then he has to believe he's going to just be destroyed. And he doesn't want to believe that either. So he keeps doubting in another direction and starts to think he can work his way out of it. He starts thinking he can find his way out of it. And it's everything from going mad and throwing spears at people in the bedroom all the way down to leveraging entire national armies to do a, go on a manhunt against one guy in the wilderness while he's fleeing with a band of 15 or 20 people. The guy goes nuts, literally, and even demonically, as we're told by the text. All from a moment, all from a moment, that you or I could walk into at any time, in which the word of the Lord simply says this, um, what are you doing? And your response is, ain't my fault. David, again, if you recall, who we'll hear more fun stuff about next time, uh, David, when he is confronted, doesn't say not my fault. He says, it's all my fault. Spare the boy. You know, that's the difference between Saul and David. That's the difference between a man after God's own heart, that is one who knows his heart ain't after God's own heart, needs to be forgiven, has no hope but that, and a man whose heart is after himself. Right? Chasing the donkeys, afraid of mankind, having every gift possible he could ever want, and that the one thing, the simplest thing ever, bare and naked and childish trust and the promises of God Almighty. That's the one thing he didn't have. Well, he did. And Saul also among the prophets. He's a confusing character. And when you're, when you're trying to put him into your dogmatic categories for all of your soteriology, that is your study of, say, things like election and grace versus works and all this kind of stuff, you know, when you, you want to put people in categories, and we just it's just not always that easy because we're not given the judgment, finally, for most people in the scriptures, right? The, the judgment is reserved. And so Saul, I mean, the Lord says he's going to take the spirit from him, and then he does. And then he sends a spirit who's not the Holy Spirit. And we're never told anything else about the spirit of God working in his life other than that, like Samuel comes back from the dead, maybe, to tell him he'll get no more answers than I'm done with you. <laughs> it's like, golly, it's a horror movie. Uh, and so so th th that's all that he gets out of this the entire time. But it comes from his belief that he could justify himself, and it continues to be his belief he can justify himself. It is his own trust in himself that's his undoing start to finish. And David, for all that David has, the guy's got a lot of flaws. This guy's a womanizer. There's no two bones about it. Uh, for all his flaws, um, what David does not do is argue with God when God talks. He just shuts his mouth and says, well, you're God. 
All right. And frankly, my friends, that religion that we have in Christianity now is pretty stinking awesome. I got to tell you, I just enjoyed today proclaiming the certainty that we have, even in this temporary, momentary, bleak affliction. We are being prepared for a weight of glory beyond comparing. I mean, that sounds like some awesome stuff. Where do I sign up? Oh, wait, I just ate and drank too much. That's the deal. Cafe Solo with a super chat to end us this afternoon. Oh, 20 bucks too. Thank you so much, uh, Cafe Solo. He says, if you did do online administration of the Lord's Supper, <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, knowing that some would not participate, how would you instruct them to explain to their family why they're not joining others in this practice? I'll tell you why I won't do it. I don't know if it works. I have no word from Jesus that it works. Not a single one. Same thing with grape juice. Same with, way with truly wheatless bread. I'm not talking about gluten minimized. I'm talking about truly wheatless. I just don't know. Like, I can give you some Coca-Cola and some, some Pop-Tarts, and I can tell you it's Jesus. I can really believe it, and it won't change whether it's true or not. Like, I could tell you it's King Caesar or whatever, right? And it, it probably isn't true. So if it's true that it's going to be the body and blood of Jesus on the table in front of you, and I'm here, right, wherever I am, and you're through the interwebs, like, maybe three years later or whatever, right? And you're just, like, got some bread and wine in front of you, and you're, like, constant. Like, here's the thing. I can say the body of Jesus. I can say all the right words. I am making you a promise God has not made. And that's why I won't eat it because it's based on a promise God has not made, which is that when not two or three gather in his name, when we don't gather, we can use magic words across the internet to make us pretend like we gathered. Um, if it's Jesus, you know, that, that would be marvelous, but we've always taken this approach. If God didn't say it, we should be kind of careful. And with the heartbeat of the church being what it is, this meal, us gathered, to say, again, um, let's go ahead and start not gathering for it. That's a pretty bold move for a weekend or three, right? It's a bold change. And then I, I'm not sure it's going to come back. But at the, at the end of the day, what I'm concerned most about, for me personally, is that I would eat some bread and wine that is merely bread and wine, and I would adore it as if it were Jesus Christ. Because that's, that's blasphemy, straight up. Right, that's, that's false worship right there. Um, that's what we say sacramentarians are always doing, by the way. Uh, and so, I, I, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to hell um, yet, maybe. I don't know, right? When God says, do we repent? That's the thing. And so uh, for me and mine, uh, that would be my answer. Is I, my, my family, I love you. I don't know what that is. I don't have a word from God that there is a priest magic that works over the internet. I don't. I have the promise that when the church gathers with the office of the keys placed upon an individual in their midst, that the words of Christ are present and he's with us to the very end of the age. All his promises are true. Well, that's a little different thing. It's a little different thing than me just speaking magic words over the internet. Hey, I'm all for the magic spells of the Bible, by the way. Like, I'm up on this game, right? This role-playing game idea of it. I did a bunch of it today. It was fantastic. But I don't for a minute believe it's actually incantation style you don't have to believe it magic these aren't these aren't transmogrifying like latinus forties. you know i don't know patronus you know blah blah uh it's not that this is the real truth of jesus word continuing to resound throughout history because it is and does what it says when you are to be disciplined in everything that Jesus has taught you. 
Are you supposed to do it without a pastor? Now, the answer to that question will tell you a lot. It'll tell you a lot about whether you be, believe the Bible is not, or whether the Bible is true or not. Because uh, if you think you can do it without a pastor, it means you think you can do it without the office. If you think you can do it without the office, that means you think you can do it without Jesus, because he is the office. And the supper, of course, is very tightly tied to this as well. So it just, I don't know. I want to go where I'm certain, Chris. I want to go where I'm certain. I want to trust where I cannot not trust because I got nothing in me. All I got is that thing that's outside of me. And you ask me to take it in some funky, newfangled, made-up voodoo way. I'll pass. God's peace to you as you stand firm. We're going to stand firm. Not giving up meeting together is... Some are in the habit of doing. That's a little bit of a low blow. Little low blow, but it is a direct quote, so I'll let you take it in good faith, and I'll say, hey, look, if you can't meet, you can't meet. And I get that, too. Um, but let's not make up new doctrines just to solve our antsy-pantsy need for microwave the Lord's Supper this week, right? Um, maybe maybe there's a more enduring reality we should be concerned with at this point. So, hey, everybody on the side, I want to chat. I really do, but I also don't. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done for this day. It's been a good day, but I got some relaxation ahead of me, I think. Um, but what, what we will do, I will see you at the very latest on Friday for something. Um, so watch, uh, watch. I'll try to let it know, be known what time it'll be before like the moment I go on. Uh, so watch for that. And then uh, with Saturday as well, we'll be doing Saturday morning chill good and early on, on the Holy Vigil. So until then, uh, you can always, of course, help out on Patreon, supporting, subscribing to what goes on everywhere. You can send me a note at redfist.com slash contact. Uh, you can also uh, sign up for the newsletter at Mad Mondays that will be going out tomorrow. In fact, that's what I'm doing before I relax this afternoon. I'm going to write a lead piece for that. It'll be short. We'll see. Yeah, we'll catch you guys all on the other side because I know you're going to make it because you ain't going to wallow in the muck. And that way, resin... <laughs> that way, one or the other, risen from the dead, you're going to be able to continue.